My name is Yvette Young. I am the Associate Vice President of Programs and Advocacy at the Village for Families and Children. Uh, thank you for joining us for our first episode of Lunch Break with the Village. Um, we are so glad you could join us today. Um, please comment uh, in the chat box uh, who, uh, who you are, where you're from. We'd like to connect with you and know who is joining us today. Uh, with me today is Dr. Scott McGregor. Um, from our adult services uh, at the Village for Families and Children, and he will be uh, talking with us uh, today about anxiety and depression. Welcome, Dr. McGregor. Hi, welcome. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be your first guest. We're honored to have you, and we're honored to be having this conversation. Anxiety and depression is definitely an issue that many uh, individuals struggle with um, for varying, varying degrees, whether it's mild to severe. Um, and especially now uh, during the COVID pandemic, uh, there's been a lot of anxiety, depression for folks who have been um, faced with uh, this virus and um, the consequences that come if you uh, get it and just being in lockdown and not really being sure uh, how to manage it. So could you talk to us a little bit right now about what is a normal response to stress during a pandemic? Sure. I, I think for many people dealing with this pandemic, there's so many unknowns and so much confusion. It's very normal to have at least a low level to even sometimes a moderate level of anxiety and depression. Um, and to answer your question, what does it look like? Often it's um, just having trouble concentrating on things, uh, not driving as much pleasure from activities like you used to, feeling less motivated, finding it hard to fall asleep at night, just generally not having as much energy. You're just spending so much of your, your time kind of in the background of your mind, worrying about things, feeling unsure about things. Just everyday activities are no longer the same. Your routine is just totally interrupted. Um, and it's very normal to feel these sort of things. Okay, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So um, what does anxiety and depression look like normally without the pandemic, without the extra uh, stressor? What do people typically experience when they're anxious and depressed? That's a great question. Um, normally some of the, the similar things I, I found for a lot of clients I work with who normally deal with chronic depression or anxiety, they've even said, you know, one benefit of this is that their peers now finally understand what they go through on a regular basis. Um, and it is a lot of the symptoms I've just described, but a lot of it too is a lot of physical symptoms that can come up. Okay. Feeling like an ache in your stomach, uh, feeling like headaches that come on, tension in your shoulders, um, just generally just feeling stress within your body. Uh, sometimes people can misunderstand this as feeling like they're having heart palpitations or even that they're having a heart attack when it becomes what's called a panic attack. Um, and even too, having sweating, um, a, lock, a lack of appetite, um, and sometimes just feeling like you need to use the bathroom more often are some common signs of, of depression physically at least. Okay. And so if I'm a female, I'm a male, I'm an adult, I'm a child, is there differences in the way that anxiety and depression manifests itself uh, for me? So that I can, because I might see symptoms in someone else and go, those aren't symptoms I'm having. So does that mean that I'm anxious and depressed? Or 
not. So I think it would be really good for everyone to kind of hear a little bit about how uh, anxiety and depression may be different, uh, depend on gender or age. Absolutely. I think there's a great diversity for each person and they, they follow, um, even to culturally, there can be differences as well in how it's presented, both anxiety and depression. It's not mm -hmm. to say that they're always the same for every person, depending on their gender, their age, or, um, or even their ethnic identity. It, but to, to kind of answer the question as best I can, men typically tend to show and express their anxiety or depression through anger. They tend to feel these feelings and then express them more outwardly and irritably, where women tend to be showing more signs of fret and worry or tearfulness when it comes to these. Um, when it comes to children, you can see some of this, the gender differences there as well, but more typically children will start acting out more, start having temper tantrums, suddenly just start regressing, so to speak. You may have a four-year-old that's starting to act more like a two-year-old, um, an eight-year-old who's starting to act a bit younger, wanting to be more about, uh, about and around their parents more, wanting to stay up late, have the parents read them stories before bed again when they themselves were able to read. Um, I, and, and two, I think along ethnic lines, you can see differences among different cultures and what is acceptable in expressing it. I think, for example, in our culture in the United States, it's generally acceptable for men to express their feelings as aggression um, where being tearful, expressing themselves in that way isn't so acceptable. Um, whereas in other cultures around the world, if it is more acceptable for men to be more tearful, to express themselves more openly, you can see that happening more often. They'll show a more forlorn exterior rather than being um, so brusque with it. Okay. Um, and so what are common things that uh, people can do to help combat anxiety and depression? Because I think, mm. you know, we hear that, we hear these two terms all the time. I feel anxious. I'm, I feel depressed. I, but I don't necessarily know what I should do or what do I need to do? Um, are my symptoms severe enough for me to have to consider medication? Should I be in treatment or not? Or is it just situational and I need to just, um, you know, do some coping strategies that are good at home. So if you can help um, the audience understand, so what is that spectrum um, of how to manage and uh, deal with and cope with anxiety and depression? So it's, it can vary and it depends how much control you have in your life at that moment. Um, I think many times it's mentally talking to yourself kindly and compassionately, particularly using I statements is very, very effective. Um, for example, a lot of times people get into a cycle where they denigrate themselves and say mean and awful things to themselves or label the situation as very uncontrollable. And to talk to yourself in a more evened way and to practice that often helps a great deal. So often we'll say, you're so stupid, you can't do this, this is so difficult, this is out of your control. Or even to say, you know, I can't do this anymore, I'm so overwhelmed, um, nothing's going to work out right. To instead say, you know, a lot of things are not going well, there's a lot of things I can't control, but I can get through this. There's certain things I can focus on that I can do to help myself. Focusing on what you can control is very, very important. Because if anything, anxiety is a, a difficulty sitting and accepting doubt and unknowns. 
So being able to accept the things that you cannot control and try to focus on the things that you can mentally and talking to yourself and coaching yourself in this way is very, very helpful. Talking to other people who can help coach you in this way, supportive others, whether it be church community members, family members, friends, is very, very valuable to do this because many times we, we can coach others, but we lose the ability to do it ourselves. Um, I think in terms of depression, depression is often a sign that the relationships we are in are not working or that the mm -hmm. world around us, we just feel like we're banging our head against the wall and we feel like giving up. So finding ways to reconnect with people that you perhaps have missed out on before, trying to make changes in those relationships or finding new ones. Um, but generally too, as we've talked about, both of these can have a physical aspect. So keeping yourself busy you know, trying to get some exercise, going outside yourself in some healthy ways, walking around the neighborhood, even if it is wearing a mask or walking laps in, in a part of your house can be helpful. Um, keeping care of yourself nutritionally as best that you can. I know a lot of people feel compelled to overeat during times like this. Um, trying to limit that and trying to eat more nutritionally balanced meals, trying to set a schedule for yourself to go to bed on times. Um, these can help particularly manage the behavioral aspects of anxiety and depression that become pretty difficult. I'm not sure if I fully answered your question though, Yvette. No, I think you've given a lot of examples. I think what I would ask you to sort of expound upon is um, what if I've tried some of those strategies, if I've, you know, done things at home and I'm still just feeling like I can't shake uh, the feelings that I'm having, whether it's anxiety or whether it's depression. Gotcha. Um, I think looking for support, trying to go outside your network is helpful, but I, I think as you're saying, what are the signs that I might need more professional help? Mm -hmm. but first of all, I think the village is definitely a resource that people can reach out to um, in this case, because it's not necessarily that you need to come in and come in for therapy, um, but being able to consult or doing an intake to discuss that is helpful. There's other agencies within the community as well, over in East Hartford is intercommunity. In the north end, the village exists as well as CHS and Wheeler Clinic. So I encourage people to be looking for, at these resources as well if they feel that way. Um, and I would say too, an interesting thing is many people think that therapy is going to be you know, 12, 13 sessions, even maybe a whole year. The mm -hmm. most common number of therapy sessions is just one. Many times it's people just learning some additional coping skills or just realizing, you know, that there's some changes that they need to make in their life that they've been putting off that they can better handle on their own. They just needed to consult with someone. The second most common number of therapy sessions is three. People identify a goal early on, they work with the therapist and they're able to knock it out in a pretty short period of time. But what are the signs though, is when you just feel so stuck, when you've tried to work with other people and you haven't gotten anywhere, when you're struggling to get out of bed for you know, days at a time, when your anxiety is so bad that you're having panic attacks, where it feels like um, you're just out of control, almost like you're having a heart attack as a result. Those are definitely clear signs to come in. But if you just feel stuck, if you need someone to talk to, I think those are times to reach out. Because as we said, it's not an absolutely full or lifetime, lifelong commitment to seek therapy. It can be something tremendously brief as it often is for many of our clients.
Okay. Um, as we continue our conversation, I just want for anyone that has just joined us to let you know that we are going to be taking questions from the audience. So if you have a question that you'd like to ask, if there are uh, topic areas you want to have uh, Dr. Greger uh, focus more on, um, please let us know um, so that we can create some space and time for your questions because we really do want this to be a helpful um, presentation so that you can walk away with some strategies of what to do if you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or you know of someone who is currently struggling. Um, the, so Dr. Gregor, so we've sort of gone through the conversation about what is anxiety and depression and, you know, sort of the signs to look out for. Mm -hmm. We're re living through a, a pandemic that has been very, very scary. Um, you know, people's lives have been lost as a result of it. We're trying to figure out how do we get back to what a norm is. Um, and you mentioned the issue of control. And I think um, right now, there is a sense of loss of control for many people, not having the ability to make the decision about when can I leave my house? Um, can I leave my home safely or not? Am I going to be okay if I do go back out in the world? Will I get sick? Um, what will result as a, a, out of that? So I think with this pandemic, there's definitely folks who may not have um, struggled with anxiety before, might be feeling symptoms, and you talked about some of the more milder symptoms, um, but can you speak to that particular presentation? If you're not someone who has necessarily struggled in this area before, but you're having some of the symptoms you mentioned, what would you say to those individuals to kind of help them figure out what would be next for them in this journey? So let me clarify your question first before going further. You're saying what sort of skills would be helpful for these individuals or what sort of resources would be helpful? I think skills, resources, but I also think this idea of, so is this normal or not? Should I be feeling this way? Does it mean that, mm -hmm. you know, I have a DSM-4 classification now because I feel some of the symptoms that you're mentioning um, in light of what we're all dealing with as a society? How do you talk to people about, how do you sit with that feeling without thinking that there is something severely wrong with you? I understand better now. It's, it's such a great question, too, because when you haven't dealt with much anxiety and depression in your life, you know, you may have had some sadness when a family member has passed or you've been nervous about a test or a job. Um, those feel so normal and natural at times because they're a natural part of life. And a, a pandemic does not happen very often. This is something that perhaps happens to this extent, perhaps at best once every hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, it's incredibly normal to be feeling some level of anxiety and depression going through something like this. It's a time of such uncertainty and to some degree danger in exiting your home or even having things enter your home that so many people feel scared, so many people feel anxious. And when you have a situation like this, it is absolutely not, you know, would be considered a chronic mental health issue or something that is diagnosed as, you know, specific depression or anxiety in the DSM. Um, one big thing that the field of psychology looks at is, well, what else is going on in someone's life when they're experiencing these things? Because you wouldn't diagnose someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one with depression unless it was chronic and ongoing far, far beyond uh, the normal process of grief, nor would you diagnose someone who's anxious about a test, 
or anxious about getting the job so long as they can continue, continue to take that test or go for that job. Um, but I, I think that metric is a good way to look at it. Is the anxiety or depression that you're experiencing as a result of this pandemic interfering greatly with your ability to function? Mm -hmm. um, if it gets to the point where you feel like, I just can't function, I can't go through, even if I take breaks, I just feel so stuck. That may be at the point where it becomes its own diagnosis. Okay. Um, sometimes we call this like an adjustment disorder, which means mm -hmm. like you're, you're struggling to adjust to something that is quite difficult. And it, it, in some cases is expected, but unexpected as well. And if it goes on for longer periods of time and becomes very chronic, then perhaps we might diagnose that as its own distinct depression or anxiety. But I, I think to your question, it's very valid that people are afraid of the stigma related to this. They're afraid of coming forward and saying they're struggling with depression and anxiety, um, even though it's probably the most normal thing to be feeling right now, because they don't want to feel like I have this chronic mental illness. When exactly. They probably don't. So quickly, we have two questions that have come up. One is because, you know, as clinicians and mental health workers, uh, we tend to use acronyms a lot and other folks don't know what they mean. So I said uh, DSM uh, diagnosis and someone is going, what is the DSM? Like, what does that mean? So the so DSM, yeah, the DSM is the, it stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual uh, of Mental Health Disorders. It's created by the American Psychiatric Association um, and they revise it every, I want to say seven to 10 years, somewhere in that range. And we're currently on uh, the fifth edition of a DSM-5. Yeah. Um, so when, to, when Yvette was asking earlier about a DSM diagnosis, she was saying a diagnosis specific to that manual. Thank you. Um, so the next question we have is other than COVID, what do you see are the most prevalent or common contributing factors to youth anxiety in a North Central region? Um, i.e. school schedule, workload, social life, et cetera? That's so hard to answer because I think that changes with time. Um, and I know this gets into another issue we have planned to do in these series with another participant. But currently, I would say um, just dealing with the police brutality and white supremacy issues that have been going on, I think particularly for people of color, um, it's tremendously scary. It's such a confusing and eventful moment. I think for allies of these individuals who are white, it's very, very scary worrying about their family members, their friends, their coworkers who are dealing with this, not knowing as well. Um, that has to be, I think, on the tip of everyone's brain at this particular moment. Mm -hmm. but, but otherwise, I, I think as you're saying, for, for children of all ages, worrying about, you know, I want to see my friends, I want to go back to school, but what will happen in that moment? Will it be the same? What happens if something happens to my friend, my family, my grandparents? And when it comes to the family members, just balancing all of these things, where I can speak to myself, we had a major adjustment where, you know, my, my three-year-old son was going to daycare a couple days a week. Um, my wife was working those days, uh, her mother was coming in to help out in the house. We just had a new baby who's about to turn seven months and I was going to work where suddenly it was grandma couldn't come over anymore. Daycare was unsafe. I was working at home and 
suddenly everything was on her and with me trying to figure out the workload with that, you know, we've been able to manage as best we can, but other people have even more challenging situations. I think for those family and for those children, it's when am I going to see grandma next? You know, what's going on with this situation? When am I going to see my friends? And just, I, I think of all the adults who are trying to get back to work, but also have children that, you know, it's scary to have them go to daycare or go to mm -hmm. work. You don't know where this virus is going to be. So the anxiety and the unknown and the lack of control that people are feeling makes feelings of depression, anxiety that much more prevalent in a way that is different than we would normally see from, uh, from a mental health standpoint of the DSM. Okay, uh, so we have another question that just came in. Um, this uh, individual said, I'm worried how, especially young children, how they will do without the socializing in school with their teachers and friends. So, you know, there is a, a diagnosis of social anxiety disorder, right? Um, but mm -hmm. I think in this case, it's not about the meet or want not to socialize, which is really sort of the underlying um, criteria for social um, anxiety disorder. But this idea that how do I connect? How do I learn to interact um, with my uh, friends and my classmates? And even for adults, it's the same question, you know, my colleagues, et cetera. Um, so any thoughts or ideas you have around how to help children deal with this isolation that they're experiencing right now? Absolutely. I think, first of all, that is a common concern of many parents. Um, I think it will have an effect on their socialization to some extent. Um, the interesting thing, though, is it will affect just about all of them. So it, I think, you know, from a research perspective, it will be interesting longitudinally to be looking at children of these ages living in the time of corona compared to children mm -hmm. afterwards. Um, I see it as kind of similar to... Uh, you know, my parents living through the Cold War, having to worry about, you know, duck and cover underneath their desks and things like that, just having to deal with that anxiety. But truly, this is different because they're separated from each other in this way. Um, it will have an impact, but I think it's one that will be such a shared trauma that people will be able to talk about it much better. People will be able to relate to each other so much better about this and understand. Or I know a lot of people who come in for mental health treatment one of the biggest issues they find is they don't have a community that understands them. They mm. feel stigmatized. They don't feel understood. People can't relate to what they're going through. So I think one thing that I, will be a great factor towards the resilience of our children is they will have a shared experience with this. Um, to answer that deeper question, what, what should we do about it? Um, I think trying to get them to socialize in ways that you can, playing with them more within the house, um, trying to set up, you know, through telecommunication, whether it be FaceTime or Zoom or Skype with family members so that they can see them, their peers, so that for younger children, they can do parallel play, for older children, that they can try to interact in this way and socialize. And as much as it is safe, I think trying to get them together, um, I think playing perhaps with masks on and playgrounds once they start mm -hmm. opening up again could be helpful, but I know it's at everyone's discretion to try to keep them safe. It is so difficult and it's, it's hard to really know what is going to work and what's going to be most helpful till we're on the other side. But I think trying to talk to your children about this as best you can. I know on the village website, village.org, there's a lot of great resources and videos that go into how to talk to your children, how to work with your children during this crisis. So 
I'd advise people to go there uh, for a much more comprehensive view of that. Okay, so we're talking a lot about kids and uh, there's always uh, the dialogue about how do I help and support my my child. But I think sometimes what parents don't ask the question is how do I support and take care of myself? And where do I go when I'm falling apart, when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed, but I have my children that are also clinging to me and looking for me to be the rock and to be stable and present for them so they don't start to, you know, um, their anxiety and their depression is an increase. So uh, talk to us a little bit about what would, advice would you give to parents during this time of how they manage their own feelings of anxiety and depression? Such a great question. I, I think I can't give a full answer because everybody's situation is so different. Um, I think, first of all, it goes back to what we talked about when we first talked about coping with anxiety is mentally talking to yourself in a compassionate way trying to accept the things that you can control and trying to make your peace as best you can with the things that you cannot. Um, giving yourself credit for how well you are doing, you know, normalizing to yourself what a difficult and stressful time this is and that you cannot be the parent that you were before. You don't mm -hmm. have the same resources. You don't have the same supports. You're dealing with so much more stress. It's okay to not be perfect. Um, I know that brings up a lot of guilt for a lot of parents. And I, I say this to a lot of my clients who struggle with guilt is, guilt is really a sign of empathy. You're empathizing with your children and you feel their emotional pain. Mm -hmm. Guilt sometimes means we're doing something wrong and we've hurt people. But in this situation, Guilt is more a sign that you feel their pain, not an indication that you are doing something wrong, not an indication that you are causing harm to your children. Because we do need breaks. We do need time for ourselves. It's okay to lock yourself in the bathroom for a couple minutes and just cry it out. That makes sense. Or have a glass of wine after they go to bed. Um, and to seek to your supports as best you can. Try to be creative with ways to give yourself breaks. But most important to be honest with yourself about what you can actually handle because it's okay. We don't need to be perfect parents to raise healthy children. We just need to be good enough. I think you speak um, volumes to the concept of community, right? And the fact that um, we do truly need a village. I always, you know, I work for the village and I always use that terminology um, a lot because it's, it's, it's true. We need a village. We need support systems. We need people in place. And I think, you know, during this time of feeling isolated or feeling, you know, that you can't do the things that you normally do, there's still a way to connect with your village. There's still a way to get supports um, when you need them. Um, Zoom has become, you know, a platform that people use for socializing now. Uh, where in the past they didn't just seeing someone's face and having a conversation and connecting in that way so you don't feel so alone are definitely um, I think very important right now and just in general even if it wasn't a pandemic and you are struggling with issues of anxiety and depression that just having that sense of community and support around you is so important. Uh, thank you Dr. McGregor for all your comments. We're coming close to uh, wrapping up our session. Uh, before I, I ask you to do some closing comments, uh, just for the audience, if you have additional questions or you think of questions that you would like to ask that you didn't get an opportunity to ask today um, on the broadcast, 
you can send your uh, questions to communications at thevillage.org uh, um, and someone will definitely respond back to you and provide you with, with an answer. Uh, one more piece uh, before I have Dr. McGregor close up for us with his final thoughts is that we are also uh, going to be sharing a downloadable resource for everyone on the topic of anxiety and depression so you can learn and read more about this topic. Um, we'll be sharing it here on during the Facebook live feed, but we'll also download it to our Facebook post. The other critical piece of information, if you miss anything from this episode or you would like to share it um, with friends and family members that couldn't uh, join us today, we do have a special page on our Village website uh, for Lunch Break with the Village where we will have the resources that we're sharing, uh, videos of episodes that will be posted there as well. Um, so you'll have an opportunity to connect with us uh, there as well. So Dr. McGregor, um, as we wrap, any final thoughts that you would like to share with our audience uh, in, rela in relations to anxiety and depression? Well, first, I'd just like to say thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to perhaps coming on the show again. And I just want to say what a great job you've done in hosting as well, Yvette. Thank you. To your question, it's so hard to put it all together, but perhaps final words is we will get through this. It will take a lot of strength, but we are stronger together. Look to your community, look to the people around you. I think many people are afraid to look out and seek help because they feel it means that they are weak. And it does not mean we are weak to look for help. It just means that we are vulnerable in this moment. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to be vulnerable. If people reject you or push you away when you're vulnerable, it does not mean that there's something wrong with you. It means that you're seeking the wrong people for help. Mm. Thank I, you. That was powerful. You're welcome. Thank you. Those were, I think people need to hear that. It's not necessarily that there's something wrong with you, but the people around you may not be able to support you in the way that you need in that moment. And that's okay. Um, find that uh, group of people or go, as you said earlier in this talk to the village or some other community um, mental health um, provider and seek support from someone who will be willing to listen and guide you through whatever it is you're dealing with. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I appreciate your expertise and everything you've shared with us. Uh, for those of you who tuned in today and is watching Lunch Break with the Village, uh, we just want you to know that our next episode will be on June 18th at noon. Um, so we ask you to join us then. The topic for that conversation is racial trauma. And we all know that right now we're dealing with a lot of racial injustice issues and a lot of trauma for communities of color, uh, especially black communities. So we'll be diving deeper into that concept and conversation. And I think as Dr. McGregor said, uh, we're in a time where people are experiencing anxiety and trauma around the, um, and depression around the racial justice issues that we're dealing with. We also encourage you to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn to get updates about our upcoming shows and other resources that we uh, provide for you. We thank you so much um, for joining us, and we want to remind you that we are always here for you. Uh, the Village is here to support um, our community, and so please reach out to us. Um, and until we meet again, until our next episode, I want to thank you for joining us for our first Lunch Break with the Village episode. And I want to say to you, until next time, be well. Thank you and have a nice day.